You know, our church has often been referred to as a remnant church. And we've referred to ourselves as a remnant church. And I feel like tonight we're living up to the namesake. Come on. How many of you are in here to play church tonight? Any takers? No. It's the remnant who comes out on a night like this. It's the remnant who comes out. And in spite of all the turmoil and all the sickness and all the COVID and all the weather and everything that's facing us and, and, and encountering, it's the remnant that comes out and says, Lord, we're going to worship you anyway. That's how breakthrough comes. Come on, lift your hands across this place. Magnify the Lord all across this place. This is the remnant in motion right here. Pastor Randy is going to step into this pulpit in just a moment. And something powerful is going to happen. I'm believing that. It's already happened. Pastor John and the praise team, they've led us into the presence of the Lord. And God is going to continue to do a work. This is not just some Sunday night service. Come on. This isn't just a Sunday night service. The Lord is in his house. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. I want you to remain, if you would, for just a few moments in this attitude of worship. And of course, we understand that we worship through our offering and through our giving. How many of you really believe that? I heard a man say one time, he said, he was, he was talking about church and different things, and he said, if you want to know if you really believe in something, see how it impacts your finances. And I believe in the kingdom of God. I believe in being obedient. I want to encourage you to be obedient in your giving. Amen? And your tithe and your offer. You people have been so faithful. This church has been so unbelievably faithful. You know, oftentimes we've sat around and we have talked in the face of all the struggles, again, financially, job loss and pandemic and everything that goes with that. God has just blessed our church. But it's because he's blessing you. And you have been faithful. And, and we just praise God for that. We praise God for your faithfulness. And so, again, we want to encourage you. We got the offering stations that you can turn it in. You can give online. You can mail it in, however you want to do that. We appreciate your faithfulness in that. I want us to do our declaration. And I feel like in an atmosphere like this tonight, this means something special. Amen? There's an attitude. There's a, there's a, there's a spirit in here where this declaration means something. And then we're going to pray, and we're going to get back into the service. Lord, today by faith... We declare that we are walking in the manifestation season. As your faithful remnant, we will house your very presence. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and he has delivered us from all of our troubles and fears. We're no longer victims, but we are victors in Christ. We will not be deceived by the lies of the enemy, but we will give health, healing, and wholeness to the hopeless and those in despair. We will live under your anointing and see the revealed purpose of Christ in each of our lives. We declare your everlasting word on earth as it is in heaven. Would you once more extend your hand toward heaven? Father, in the name of Jesus, as we enter into this next phase, God, of tonight's service, we just invite Holy Spirit into the house like never before. We give him full reign. We pray for the anointing. We pray for the anointing to fall on your word tonight. God, we pray for the anointing to fall on every ear and every mind and every heart. 
God let every part of us, mind, our, our mind, our will, our emotions, our bodies, our spirits, God, be uh, in, in just involved in your word tonight. And God, we expect and we're believing change for the sake of the kingdom. And if you're in agreement with that, I want you to say amen. Amen. I'm thankful for the spirit of the Lord today. I'm thankful that his presence is in this place. And I'm thankful for his goodness. And Misty's going to sing this song. And I just want to, I want you to listen to the words, especially in the second voice, where it says, I love your voice. You've led me through the fire, your darkest night. You are close like no other. I've known you as a father and I've known you as a friend and I will live in the goodness of God. And no matter what you're going through tonight, he is leading you through his voice, uh, through his word, through what, through our readings is guiding you. His mercy never fails us. And I just want, I just want you tonight just to get into the same thankfulness that I feel right now in my heart for his spirit, for his presence in this place, because it's not everywhere. And I'm thankful for the ground that's being laid for the word to come forth so that he can be that voice to all of us tonight and have what we need. Thank you, Jesus.
Matter of fact, I'm going to challenge you right off the bat. Is there still a rumble in this place? Come on, give him the greatest Sunday night praise you've ever gave him. I've come to tell you tonight that God is up to something. It's times like this when I'm in the presence of the Lord, this I feel about this tall. I feel so insufficient to be in a presence like this and have the responsibility that I have. But with God's help tonight, I'm going to do my very best to deliver what God's placed on my heart to you. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. I'm going to get right into my word tonight. I'm going to begin by asking you, how many of you have ever lost something you felt was very significant to your life? Something so significant that you considered when it was gone, you'd lost everything. And a lot of times, losing something significant makes you believe you've lost everything, causing you to have feelings of grief, of depression and hopelessness, feelings of it's over. You feel you can't go on. You feel your dreams are over. You're stifled with all these emotions. You feel like you're down to nothing. You have nothing left. But let me begin to minister with this statement of faith tonight. When you're down to nothing, God is up to something. Can anybody in here amen that tonight? When you're crushed and you're weak and you feel defeated and you're grieved, according to 2 Chronicles 16, 19, it's God's desire to show himself strong on your behalf. Now, I know in my own life, I've been in the place I'm talking about, thinking there's nothing left. There's no way out of this mess. No way this is ever going to change. How can anything good come out of this? It's a pretty tough place to be in. But what I seemingly seemed out of nowhere, out of nothing, when my faith was weak, my mind had doubts, while I was discouraged, God was up to something, and he turned my nothing back into something. Amen? How many of you have ever run out of gas? Have you ever found yourself praying, Lord, let me make it to the next gas station? How many besides my wife thinks E means enough? I can say that because she's not here. Don't tell her. Truthfully, we're all probably know in some form or fashion, though, we've had some type of experience. We know what it's like to be out of gas or out of resources and seemingly be down to nothing. Your tank is empty. When you've been down to the wire and you didn't know what to do, down to the last drop, the last can of formula, down to the bottom of the barrel, down to your last $10. Come on, this is a good time to testify with me. Down to the very last day and even very last hour, down to God, you got to help me or else. Has anybody else besides me ever been there? We are living in an age where now more than ever it seems so many people feel like they're down to nothing. And their finances and their relationships, their ministries, their careers, their health. When it looks like failure is inevitable, feel like you're going down on a slide just waiting to hit the bottom. Like the clock ran out and the game is over and you lose. Oh, but how many of you have a testimony that when you were down to the wire, down to the last drop, down to the bottom, bro, that God's divine provision came at just the right time, that it came in just the right way, came when you least expected it, came when you least deserved it, thought you were going to lose your life, but you're still alive, thought 
Thought you were going to lose your job, but they promoted you. Thought you were going to lose your house, but you just paid it off. Thought you were going to lose your marriage, but you just celebrated your 20th anniversary. Thought you were going to lose your mind, but now it's sound and sound as ever, and you're doing fine. How he would stand and give God praise tonight as a testimony to others that God came through for you when you had nothing. That God took your nothing and turned it into something. Hallelujah. I've come to declare to you and encourage you when you're down to nothing, God's up to something. That the God we serve can make something out of nothing. Philippians 4.19 tells me, my God shall supply all you need according to his glory and riches by Christ Jesus. Throughout past years and even today as well as tomorrow, God has always been and will always be a God of provision. And an on-time God he is. Yes, he is. He could come four days late and still be right on time, you see, because he's not on our time. He's on his time. He created time. There's nothing that was created that he didn't create. Troubles and trials have always been around. No one is exempt from going through troubles and trials. We know how we have an enemy who's come to try to steal, kill, and destroy us. But how many also know God allows us to lose some things we don't need at times as well? Let's take a look at a few folks for just a moment. Let's look at Joseph. There was a time he found himself down to nothing. The day his jealous brothers turned on him, stripped him of his robe of many colors, sold him to slavery, just short of killing him, only for him to get a job working for the king, then only to be wrongfully accused of rape by the king's wife, then thrown into jail, though innocent. On top of it all, in jail in a foreign country, no family to help him. His jealous brothers had done lied to his dad and told him Joseph was dead. He knew nobody was coming for him. He was at the bottom of the barrel, down to nothing. Yet God was up to something in his life. He proved to Joseph that he is a God who will never leave you or forsake you. He blessed Joseph even when he was in prison. God had an orchestrated plan. Little did Joseph know that. God made it where whatever he did, he prospered. And as soon as the, the warden of prison actually put Joseph in charge of the prison. God, God also gave Joseph a gift of interpreting dreams. And when Pharaoh had placed his baker and cupbearer in prison, as well with Joseph, Joseph interpreted their dreams, which led to when the baker and the cupbearer were released, Pharaoh himself had a dream again that he wanted to interpret, but no one could do it. It was at that point, though, the baker and the cupbearer spoke and said, that they had met a man named Joseph while in prison that could interpret his dream. Pharaoh sent for him, and Joseph did interpret his dream, and to him rewarded him. He paroled him and voted him Joseph to the second highest position in the kingdom. He went from being nothing to the prime minister. He went from having nothing to having something. You wouldn't have thought it, but all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. When you're down to nothing, God is up to something. Job went through a time when he was down to nothing. He lost everything, his livestock, his wealth, his children, all in one day to, to a day of finding himself sitting on a dung pile with sores all over his body, down to nothing. But God was up to something. God's faith in Job and Job's faith in God defeated Satan in a classical spiritual battle. God allowed him to lose some things, and as significant as they were, they did not stop him from fulfilling God's purpose for his life. The result, God restored to Job double for what he, Job had lost. When you're down to nothing, God's up to something. See, Gideon was down to nothing. He had lost his confidence. The Midianites were taking up land while Gideon was hid out in a cave, threshing wheat, minding his own business. It was at this point in his life, God showed up and directed him to deliver Israel. With only 300 men, he defeated the Midianites and claimed their land back. When you're down to nothing. David had a moment in his life. He was down to nothing. He lost his rights when King Saul branded him as an outlaw. He had to flee the country and live among the Philistines. He was noted as a fugitive, but God was up to something. King Saul was killed in a battle, and David was crowned king of Israel. I'm telling you, when you're down to nothing, 
Hallelujah. See, in 2 Kings 4, we find a prophet's widow down to nothing. When her husband had died, he left behind a debt. The woman came to Elijah and told him that her husband's creditor was coming to take her two sons into slavery to satisfy the debt. She was in despair. She was at the bottom of the barrel. She was a mom horrified at the thought of losing her boys. But God was up to something. Elijah asked her, what do you have in your house? What do you have left? She literally had nothing but just a little bit of oil, she said, is all she had. Elijah told her to go get to her neighbor, to her neighbors and collect all the empty vessels she can get her hands on. And then bring them to her house and begin to pour that little bit of what she had left of oil into them. She obeyed, and from one small vessel of oil, she filled all the pots in the house and was able to sell the oil to pay off the debt and have enough money to live on. She went from not enough to more than enough. My God shall supply all of your needs. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. See, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were down to nothing when King Nebuchadnezzar condemned them to death in a fiery furnace because they would not bow down to his idol he had, he had built. Sometimes doing what is right can cause you to end up with nothing. But God was up to something because when they thrown in the fires, they were not harmed. God showed up and delivered them. Not only that, in Daniel 3.30, the Bible says that the King Nebuchadnezzar promoted them in the province of Babylon. When you're down to nothing, God's up to something. There's more. Daniel was down to nothing when they threw him in the lion's den. Because you wouldn't quit praying to Jehovah. God was up to something. God shut the mouth of the lion and not a hair of Daniel was harmed. He used Daniel to show the king he was God. Oh, and then we had the widow at the Zarephath. Her finances were down to nothing. She was fixing to bake her a cake and her son, and that's all she had left. She believed they would eat this and then starve to death. But God was up to something. He sent a prophet named Elijah to her house that day. Elijah went approaching the woman, inquired of her to feed him for himself, because as well, he was down to nothing. All he had to depend on was this widow woman God sent him to who had nothing. She'd been picking up sticks that day to build a fire. She replied, all I have is just a little meal, and I was fixing to bake a cake, and me and my son were going to eat it and then die. But God was up to something. Elijah beat him into God's word, spoke to her what God spoke to him, and the mill barrel became full. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, it was Paul and Silas who were beaten and thrown in prison for casting a demonic spirit out of a girl. They were down to nothing, that dark, miserable prison, cold and dark and bound by chains. But God was up to something. About midnight, they began praying and singing hymns to God while the other prisoners listened. Suddenly there came a violent earthquake. The prisoner's doors flew open and the chains fell off the prisoners. The guard who was responsible for them was about to take his own life when Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. As a result, the jailer and all his household became believers and were baptized. I said that when you're down to nothing, hallelujah, it was the apostle John was down to nothing. He was an old man confined to prison on the island of Patmos where he had been left for dead. His health was down to nothing. If God didn't show up, he was going to die. Yet God had promised him he would see him before he died. God was up to something. In keeping his promise, Christ appeared into John that day, and John wrote the book of Revelations. When you're down to nothing... God is up to something. Are you getting this? The woman with the issue of blood for 12 years, the Bible says she spent all she had on doctors, and none of them were able to help her. The Bible says she spent all she had. She was out of resources. She was down to nothing, but God was up to something. Jesus shows up in her midst, and she touches his garment, and he makes her whole because of her faith. Now, let me bring a little closer to home. Ten years ago, John Sells was down to nothing in his health. Suffering from a lung disease was proving to be fatal. The, the day came when he was down to, God, if you don't do something. They rushed him to the hospital that day. They turned his oxygen up as far as it could go, and he still had no breath. They told him he needed a lung transplant. And if he didn't get one, the only way he would ever leave the hospital would be through his death. 
And he didn't need one three months from now. He needed one now. John was down to nothing. Oh, but God was up to something. He was immediately placed at the top of the transplant list. And with three days, within three days, he got a new set of lungs. And he didn't leave the hospital dead but alive. And well, come on, somebody. When he was down to something, God was up to something. And I come to tell somebody else, you may be down to nothing, but God is up to something. You may not know what to do. You may not know what to say. You may know how to, you got in this place. But the one thing you got to know, you got to know who God God is. He's Elohim. He's Jehovah Jireh, your provider. Some of you are facing situations you don't know the way out. You don't know how it's all going to end. You don't know how you're going to make it. You don't know where the money's coming from. You don't know where the food's coming from. You don't know where you're going to get a job at. But God does because he's the great I am. In other words, I am whatever you have need of. Give God some praise. I believe today is an hour that God wants to give us a turnaround. It's not over till God says it's over. You're at the bottom of the barrel. You're down to the wire. Your condition looks bleak. The doctor's report wasn't good. Your health just keeps diminishing. You're down to nothing. If God don't show up, I'm here to tell the, you the whole time that you've been down to nothing, though, God's been up to something. Because he desires to show himself strong on your behalf. I've never seen the righteous forsaken or the seed begging for bread. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but my God shall deliver you from them all. I know the thoughts he has towards you, but my God, but the thoughts of good, not of evil. I've come to tell you he's here right now for you, that God is up to something today. You know what we need? We need some new testimonies. Not what he did 20 years ago, which we still give God praise for, but we need some new testimonies about what God did today. It's a faith walk which requires responsive action from you. The woman with the very little oil went and gathered up several vessels. The woman with only a handful of meal reached in the empty barrel instructed by God. The woman with the issue of blood pressed in. The man with the withered hand stretched it forth. It took faith, and faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It took obedience, and obedience is greater than sacrifice. Hallelujah. You have got to trust God. What have you got? You say nothing? Good, because you're a candidate. He'll take what you got left, even if you feel it's not enough, and turn it into something. So many times when we take an inventory of what we got left, it appears what little we have is not enough. The widow woman had just, the woman had just a little meal, so therefore she believed they were going to die. The woman had just a little oil, therefore she was going to lose her son. But here's the point I want to make that so many are missing. God is a God of what you have left. He took what they had left, even though it was just little, even though they didn't think it was enough to make anything out of, God is a God of what you have left. And here's what you got to know. When you believe you're down to nothing, you don't think you have nothing, to have hope during these times, you must know this. When you have God in your heart, there's always something left. There is a root. Check this out. Let's go to Daniel 4, verse 15 through 15. He cried aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and cut off its branches. Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts go out from under it and the birds from its branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump and the roots in the earth. Now, this scripture is in reference to King Nebuchadnezzar and what happened to him. He went through a time when God had given Daniel a vision about a beautiful tree. It was flourishing. It was massive. And its branches reached out so far and wide. The fowl of the earth would love to nest in it. It was a sign of incredible prosperity and success. 
It was speaking of King Nebuchadnezzar's rule and reign. Things started out so well for him. But then there came a time when King Nebuchadnezzar became lifted up in pride. And God said, cut the tree down, speaking of King Nebuchadnezzar. And that's where I want to pick up. This is a prophecy over King Nebuchadnezzar's life that you're going to go through a season where God's going to bless you and your kingdom is enormous in ways. But then there's going to come a season when the tree is going to be cut down. I'm going to allow things to be taken from you. But notice he said, chop it down concerning him. Chop the tree down. Cut it off its branches, strip off its leaves, and scatter its fruits. Sound like he's going to be taken down to nothing. But then God says, though, leave the stump and the roots. God was saying, I'm going to leave him something. Take everything else away, but I'm leaving you, you. When you get down to the stump, tie it off. Because there will be a day I will visit what you have left. You got to get this. Our God is not only a God of what you got. Everything you got, whether you know it or not, is because of God. He's also Lord of everything you lost. It says the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh. I know the enemy's come to kill, steal, and destroy you, but God is still Lord of what's been taken from you. And what I'm fixing to share with you, most importantly to you who have lost some things, whether the enemy took it or God allowed it to be taken, he is God of what you got left. You might have lost some things, even some things because of your own actions, but he always leaves a stump, a root, so that he can visit it again. Anybody know what I'm saying yet? God will never take from you without leaving you something. When you lose something, but you still got God in here, how can you say, I've lost it all? How can you say, I got nothing left? God will never allow you any take from you without leaving you something. Look at Job. He told Satan, you can touch everything he's got, even afflict his body, but you can't kill him. You got to leave him something. He lost it all. Many believed it, but because he still had God and he wouldn't deny him, he got back double for his troubles when God visited what he had left. The tree was chopped down, but notice God said, leave the stump and the roots because I'm going to visit again one day and cause something out of what you got left to produce what you need for my purpose in your future. So many think when they've lost something significant in your life, whether it's a spouse, a career, a loved one, etc., whatever it may be you've lost. Their perspective becomes there's nothing left. There's no hope. There's no chance left. But hear this. There's a stump. There's a root. Whether you lose it or God allows you to lose it, God can make something out of what you got left. And I've come to tell those that have loved ones and you don't think there's anything left or any hope of them fulfilling God's purpose for their lives, considering where they're at tonight, there's still a stump. There's still a root. And God's going to visit them again. For someone who's lost something significant, there's still a stump. There's still a root. And you can still go forward. God's going to revisit you again. Telling them to save the stump is heaven saying to hell, leave something. Telling them to save the stump is heaven saying to hell, you can't take everything from them. Because God will always bless his children, not from what they lost, but from what they got left. He's saying to hell, chop the tree down, but leave the stump alone. You can't touch it. And I'm saying to you, if God lets you lose everything, this is so important. If God allows you to lose it, it's God's vote that you didn't need in your life to fulfill the purpose for your life. If life, sickness, or death takes from you and your family, God will always use what's left while you're lamenting over what you got. And God is saying, I'm telling you that I'm going to use what's left. When you think there's nothing left and my purpose for your family or your life and your future is gone, if you hold on to your faith, 
it'll still come to pass just like I planned. I'm Lord of what you got left. What you lost was not needed for you to fulfill your purpose for your life. There's always one thing you'll always have left when you're down to nothing, a root. And that root is your faith. Because you lose something significant doesn't mean you have to lose your faith. If you just have a little faith left, a root, even just the size of a mustard seed, you still have something left. The woman had a little bit of oil left. The woman had just a little bit of meal left. And God took what they had left and blessed them. Your faith will activate three things that will cause God to visit what you have left. It will activate prayer, praise, and worship. In prayer, he promised to hear you and answer you. In your praise, he promised to inhabit you. In worship, he promised to draw nigh to him. He'll draw nigh to you. There are three things that faith activated all the lives of the people I mentioned who were down to nothing. Daniel prayed, Paul and Silas praised, and Job worshiped. And it caused God to visit what they had left and make something out of their nothing. These things that caused God to show up and show himself strong on their behalf because there was a root. Even when it looked like they had nothing left, come on, somebody. There are things it takes for you to recover, to move on, to get past, to be strengthened, to fulfill God's purpose for your life. Faith activates your prayer and your praise and your worship. To every man, there's built a measure of faith. Faith is a stump, the root that's left always regardless of what you've lost. It's what compels you to pray. It's what causes you to praise. It's what leads you to worship. When everything falls apart, praise his name. If you have a broken heart, lift your hands and say, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. You can praise your hurts away, church, in all things through supplication and prayer. Prayer, praise, and worship. It's what everyone I mentioned did when they were down to nothing in the most hopeless places of their lives. They took what little they had left and believed the God of what they had left would show himself strong on their behalf, causing God to hear them and causing God to visit them. The biggest mistake so many make when we're down to nothing is we believe we have absolutely nothing left because we lost something significant through our trials and troubles. And we therefore surrender. That's not true. I've come to remind you there's still a root in you. There's something always left in you. Now, I want us to look at what prayer praise, and worship did for Hezekiah. And 2 Kings 18 and 2 says that Hezekiah became a king of Judah when he was just 25 years old, reigned for 29 years in Jerusalem. Verse 3 says he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. There was no other king like him in all of Judah, either before him or after him. He was a great king. Then in chapter 20, verse 1 speaks of the day Hezekiah becomes sick and he was near death. And God sends the prophet Isaiah to speak to him. Isaiah says to King Hezekiah, this is what the Lord says. Put your house in order because you're going to die. You shall not live. How would you like to hear them words from a prophet of God? Isaiah the prophet had come to execute judgment on him and to pronounce rather a judgment on his life. Upon Isaiah delivering the word of the Lord, he left the king. Upon hearing these words, chapter 20, verse 2 says, Hezekiah turned his face towards the wall, and he began to pray to God. He began to pray by asking God to remember, I walked before you in truth with a loyal heart 
and I've done what was good in your sight. In other words, God, I've honored you. Here's a guy begin to remind God about all the good works he had done, how faithful he had been. He wasn't telling God nothing that he didn't already know. But, hey, when you've been given a death sentence, you'll say anything and try anything to live. Hezekiah began to remind God about how he kept the laws, reigned with integrity, but the death sentence was still in force. Here, Hezekiah said, Lord, the grave cannot praise you, but if you let me live, I will. Then Hezekiah wept bitterly. Verse 4 says, before Isaiah could even reach the middle court upon leaving Hezekiah, the Lord spoke to him and told him, go back to King Hezekiah, the leader of my people, and tell him, I've heard your prayers, I've seen your tears, surely I will heal you. He told Isaiah, go back and tell Hezekiah, if he's going to praise me, I'll restore him. The Lord through Isaiah instructed King Hezekiah that on the third day, you go to the house of the Lord. In other words, if you'll go to church and honor me and praise me and worship me, I'm going to hear you, I'm going to restore you, I'm going to deliver you from your enemies. Let me add right here, going to the house of God honors God. I don't know who I'm talking to today, but if you really start praying and praising and worshiping God in the church correctly in a way that will honor him, he will restore you, he will deliver you, he will heal you, he honors those who honor him. Hallelujah. But those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. You see, let me tell you, half of the things that pass for worship in the church nowadays are not really worship. Because if we really worship, if worship ever hits the church, the musicians won't be able to play. The ushers won't be able to usher. The deacons won't be able to be deacons. I mean, if real Holy Ghost worship hits this place, I'm not talking about that stuff you do because the camera's on you or you want to impress someone. I'm talking about something you do out of your belly, out of your heart, out of your spirit. You worship him because he brought you from a mighty long way, and you love him with all your mind, your body, and your soul, and your overwhelming gratitude for him inspires an attitude of worship within you for him. I'm talking about worship him and praise him, causing the glory to fall in this place. Now, let me explain the difference between praise and worship. Anybody can praise God. In fact, everybody ought to praise God. The Bible said that everything that has breath, praise ye the Lord. That from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, he's worthy to be praised. In other words, our praise should be continually in our lips for him all day long. How many of you this morning said, thank you, God? that I woke up with breath in my body. Thank you, God, that I made it through another day and I didn't lose my mind on my troubles yesterday. Thank you, God, for protecting my family. You see, anybody can praise God, and everybody ought to praise God, because when you pray, praise God, you start praising him with, Lord, I thank you for my shoes. Lord, I thank you for my clothes. Lord, I thank you for my car. I thank you for how you blessed me with this car. I thank you how you brought me through college. I thank you for my career. Lord, I thank you for my wife, and I thank you for my family. See, all that stuff right there is praise. Praise thanks God for what he did or is doing for you. But let me show you the difference between praise and worship. <laughs> While the praiser is thanking God for his shoes, the worshiper says, even if I don't have no shoes, even if I don't have no car, even if I don't have no money, even if I don't have no house, if I never get anything else from you, I'll worship you simply for who you are. I will worship you simply because you're God. 
Hallelujah. Lord, I'll be right here if you're looking for me. I'll be with the one with my hands up shouting, I love you, Lord. You won't find me on the back row no more just being a spectator. I'm tired of just spectating. I'm ready to start participating to give honor where honor is due, to worship you I live, to worship you I live. I live, I live, I live to worship you. Why? Because you love me when I wasn't lovable. You love me when no one else loved me. You love me when I didn't even love myself. You pulled me out of the miry clay. You put my feet on a solid ground. Had it not been for the Lord on my side, I'd have quit by now. I'd have given up by now. I'd have been gone by now. I'd have pulled the trigger by now. I'd have left him by now. I'd be dead by now. <laughs> Woo! Glory. Yet I've done nothing for you, so I worship you to honor you for honoring me. God, you don't have to perform for me. You don't have to impress me. I don't have to play, you don't have to play Santa Claus for me. I worship you simply because you're God. You mean so much to me. I'll tear up my face and cry for you. I'll mess up my makeup and cry for you. I'll shake down my hair and cry for you. I'll bow down to you. I'll submit my life to you. I will present my body as a living sacrifice, which is my reasonable service to you. Because you're so valuable to me. Your presence is valuable to me. Your love is valuable to me. Your peace is valuable to me. I just want to be alone with you so I can worship you. Does anybody in here want to be like that? Woo! The Bible says it's with the mind we serve the Lord. But yet the mind is the battleground. It's a place where the greatest conflict within you takes place. It's where wars are won and lost. It's where victory or defeat is established. It's where submission or rebellion is determined. It's where right or wrong decisions are made. There's more people in this room right now having trouble with their mind than there are people having trouble in their finances. The struggle is the mind. That's why we have people go to bed tired and they wake up tired. Feel like you've never been to sleep, yet you slept eight hours and you're still waking up tired. Oh, I'm preaching now. The reason you wake up tired is because you got sleep, but you didn't rest. Your body tossed and it turned because your mind's been in turmoil all night long. You can't shut it down. You've been wrestling in your sleep. Have you ever woke up and your bed was wet from sweat? Be honest. Where your bed's all tore up like you've been wrestling a bear. The last, the, that lasted all night long until the sun came up. Why would that be? Because your mind's not rested. Your body went to sleep, but your mind was caught up in warfare. Your mind's a battlefield. Touch somebody and tell them the enemy's after your mind. He's out to worry you to death. He's out to stress you to death. He's out to break you down. He's out to make you quit. He's out to make you think you can't get up, to convince you to give up. He's out to make you give up on your dream. Why don't you just go ahead and curse God and die? You ain't got nothing left. Am I right? Come on, somebody. Verify this word for me tonight. The warfare, the real enemy, the real problem, the real obstacle is in your mind. It's not in your checkbook. It's not in your savings account. It's not on your job. The fight you got to fight is in your mind. And if you ever whip it in your head, then you can whip it in your checkbook. Then you can whip it on your job. Then you can whip it out of your children. But you first got to drive it out of your head. Hallelujah. Your mindset has to be broken. What is a mindset? It's a particular way of thinking. It's a person's attitude or set of opinions about something. When your mind is set, you have trouble accepting a new perspective, such as when you set your mind to believe in despair but never victory. 
You set your mind to believe it's always going to be like this. I deserve nothing more than this. There's nothing left. Seems like trouble's all around you. That no matter where you turn, no matter what you do, it's all over you. People telling you to live right, to act right. And when you do, still nothing seems to ever go right for you. But I read in my Bible, stand still and know that I am God. That when I've done all I know to do, I'm to stand. And as I stand, I hear a still, small voice. It's not with thunder or lightnings as I anticipated. I begin to hear a rustling in the mulberry trees. I begin noticing he wasn't against me, that he was for me. And as I begin to worship him in my midnight hour, I feel the ground begin to shake. And I saw my mountain begin to fall. Finally, I discovered the battle was not mine. It was the Lord's. That if I would just pray and praise and worship him, he would ambush my enemies. For it's his desire to show himself strong on my behalf. So I praise him for his mighty acts. But I worship him for who he is. Because I don't want provision without the provider. I don't want deliverance without the deliverer. I don't want healing without the healer. I want God. And if I seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all that other stuff will be added unto me. Goodbye worry. Goodbye stress. Goodbye sleep is nice because his, he gives his beloved sleep. He'll not allow you to carry more than you can bear. He's promised to be my very present help in times of trouble. He's summoned me to come unto him, all ye that labor and heavy burden, and I will give you rest. He instructs me, take no thought for tomorrow, for today is the sufficiency thereof. That if I will worship him, he will add blessings to my life. Not based upon the works you did, he will reward you for those things when you get to heaven. But for now, down here, he says, if you'll worship me, I swear I'm going to bless you. Hezekiah worshiped the Lord, and God added 15 years to his life. He healed him. He restored him. He delivered him from his enemy. And what God did for Hezekiah, he wants to do for you. He'll take what you got left and bless you. Pastor John, if you and the musicians would come, please. Would you stand with me? There's no, there are so many people in dire situations. Seeming hopeless circumstances. Who suffered great loss. Feel like you've done all you can do. Some have even surrendered. You felt you had nothing left. But I've come to tell you, as long as you still got God in here, it ain't over. Because there's still a root. <laughs> God is still God. And the God of what you have left. Church, we've lost a lot here lately. So many believe there's nothing else we can do. That's not true. There's still a stump. There's still a remnant that's going to rise up and be counted in. That's going to prevail. When we suffer a loss of something great significant, we often view our lives as there's nothing left. As God has told you, there's always something left. There's a root that will activate prayer and praise and worship that will cause God to visit us again. And make something out of nothing. What's lost is painful. But with God, what's left is powerful. Did God ever revisit Nebuchadnezzar? Daniel 4 and 34. After Daniel had been chopped down. And even made to eat grass as a wild animal to humble him. As prophesied. He wrote these words in verse 34. And at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes to heaven, and my understanding returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him 
he who forever lives. For his dominion is everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is generation to generation. I believe God did revisit him. He visited what he had left. We need God to visit what we have left. Is there still a root? Do you still have God in here? Then there's still hope. As the song goes, if you're not dead, then God's not done. It's one thing for the world to be down in despair, church, but it ought not be for the body of Christ. Because we've got a root. And our faith has got to activate our prayer, our praise, and our worship. That will in return cause God to visit us and our loved ones. In just a minute, I'm going to ask every single one of you, I'm going to call the whole church to come to this altar and begin to activate your prayer, your praise, and your worship. Believing in a visitation of God to take place in your life that will cause you to rise up and to go forward. The reason I'm calling the whole church because you've got to learn to participate. The days of spectating are over. You've got to get into what God's doing. You've got to come and be a part of what God's doing. And God's doing a work in these last days. See, Samson lost his anointing. He lost his influence. He lost his power. He lost his position. He lost his hair. He lost his freedom. He lost his vision. But his miracle wasn't in what he lost. It was what in what he had left. He stood chained to pillars, humiliated, blind. And he took the one thing that he had left, and he activated his faith and prayed. And God took what he had left. But Samson prayed, God, do it. One more time. And God visited him again and gave him the strength he had once lost to tear down the pillars and killing his enemies. He destroyed more with his death than he ever did with a lie. And I'm calling the church to come to this altar and pray and praise and worship and say, God, do it one more time, God. Come and visit your people and empower us in these days. We've lost a lot of things, but God, we've got a root. And we're asking you, God, as you promised, to come and visit us one more time. Would you come this way, please? I'm going to have these guys sing. And as they begin to sing, what have you got left? Have you got a prayer? Have you got a praise? Have you got a worship? What you got? Bring it tonight. And let's show God. And ask God to come and visit us one more time. Would you guys begin to play? Begin to worship in this place. Come on, where's that rumble? Come on. You either need to be praying, praising, or worshiping. Come on. When all I see is the battle, you see my victory. 
going to make something out of nothing. In these last days that we're living in, when we have been deceived and lied to believe, there's nothing we can do about it. But our God can, and our God will, and God's going to give us something. Hallelujah. Something we've never experienced before. As we're obedient to God, and as we surrender to His Lordship, God's going to begin to make something out of nothing. I don't care how far we've been chopped down. I don't care how much you've lost. As long as there's something left. As long as Christ is still right here, God can do something about what you're going through. He will battle for you. He will avenge you. He will raise you up. And if you believe what you heard God speak to you tonight one more time before you leave with all that you got left give God a praise all that you got left all that you got left all that you got left everything you got hallelujah 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 praise God God bless you. Be ready for a visitation of God. He will answer your prayers. He will have it your praises, and he will draw nigh to you. God bless you.